recently, uh, I think I may have mentioned it, but sadly, Brother Andrew from Open Doors passed away just in the last few weeks. And he was a person that meant a lot to me and, and to really to the worldwide church, but especially to Christians who would, who would do it really, really difficult and really tough in other countries. So Open Doors has just put a, a, a short tribute video together, and I thought we'd just take a minute just to watch that together now before we start. cover now, have you? you? You can't smuggle anymore. That's what you think. Oh! <laughs> I jumped to a conclusion. Yeah. Well, now, the first trip across, you just pulled up to the border. Is that when you prayed and said, God, uh, let the seeing not see at that time? Or was that That's what time? we call my smuggler's prayer when I say, Lord Jesus, when you were on earth, you've made so many blind eyes to see. Now, it's the same job for you to make seeing eyes blind, but you've got to do it now. And if he doesn't, then I've had it. I cannot outsmart the custom guards. Just think, when I pull my car in there and I get out to show my papers, I've had situations where they took four hours to search. Two fellows in the front of my vehicle, two in the rear, two underneath, and two standing there to watch the expression on my face to see if I was getting nervous. <laughs> what can you do? And all the time they couldn't find the Bible? Well, I've never lost one Bible in 20 years that I've done. Praise God! spoke to me again through his word. Awake, strengthen what remains, which is at the point of death. Then I understood I have to go to the Christians. I had no idea how to get there. In that one city, okay. But after that, I had no money, no contact, no language. But something was a warning in my heart. And I said, Lord, yes, but how? I think we in the West, now this is a personal confession, I think we are cowards. We ought to become people of guts and courage and strong convictions and don't count our lives dear unto ourselves. to God's commission. It was so big and bold that endeavor. We did it in one night. Time magazine here says it was the boldest expedition that they have ever uh, witnessed in missions. And I'm glad we were part of it. We did it, but we did it in Jesus' name.
Now that I have come of age, more and more people ask, Andrew, what do you want written on your tombstone? I have options. One of them sounds very pious. He's not here, he's risen. Or another option is, he did what he couldn't. Or, like Oswald Chambers' gravestone, I visited that graveyard in Zaytun in Egypt. Oswald Chambers, a disciple of Jesus Christ. That gives glory to God, a disciple of Jesus Christ. Disciple of Jesus Christ. I, I like it. And, um, you know, I get a little bit emotional when, every time I watch that. And because uh, Brother Andrew, you know, he played a, a role in my own faith just simply by, by writing that book, you know, God's Smuggler. And I remember reading it as a, um, as a teenager and um, being so inspired by it. He literally put his life in God's hands over and over again. If you don't know his story, and you, hopefully you picked up on it, he would take Bibles into communist countries back in the uh, 50s and 60s in particular when it was illegal to do so and you faced uh, imprisonment for doing such a thing. But I wonder, you know, in your own life, uh, are there Christians who, who, like Brother Andrew, have inspired you? And, uh, and I bet some would come to mind. You know, they've played a role. You probably, many of them, maybe you've never met them, or maybe some you have. And likewise, we can't help but be inspired by the Apostle Paul. The man who went from persecuting those who followed Jesus to being one of the boldest and most dedicated of all the disciples until eventually he himself then being persecuted for his faith and eventually giving his life for his God. And if you missed last week, what this is leading up to is we're starting a series uh, where we're going to make our way through the book or the letter of uh, Philippians. It was a letter written by Paul and Timothy to, to the first church in Europe, in this town called Philippi, which doesn't really exist today, by the way. I looked into that. It, there is some ruins, though, so they know where it was. It was kind of, well, it's located where what is now northern Greece, if you're wondering. But we're going to read uh, the, whole, the whole book together over the next few weeks and, and just... I like to say we've got we to mine God's word. You know, we've got to go mining sometimes. You know, you've got to have that metal detector out looking for the gold nuggets, and there's many, many of them, right, for us. So, but my suggestion, uh, church, Hills Church, is that you read it yourself, because I promise you I can, I'll scratch the surface on Sundays. You know, I can give you three points on a Sunday from a passage, but you, God will give you so much more if you go home and you read it through. And someone even said to me yesterday, yeah, I've already read it through a few times. I thought, well, that's, that's good. I like that. But as I read Philippians, as I said, I can't help but be inspired by Paul. 
you know, it's kind of like, oh, when I grow up, I want to be like Paul. <laughs> That's the kind of feeling I get when I read his words. There's so much about him and what he did that, that inspires me. And mostly it's his love and commitment to, to his saviour, to Jesus. And, and I want more of that. You know, I think, just think his, his faith is contagious. Does anyone agree with me? In fact, that's the name of today's message, contagious. I said it, I think I said it to the girls. Do I call my message inspired or contagious? They said, contagious, it's like a disease, you know, it gets you. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to go with contagious. So we're in chapter 1 of Philippians, and today we're up to verse 12. Here's what he says. I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters... Remember, this, remember last week we, we worked out that Paul thinks this is a good church. It's a healthy church. I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here, that's where he is in prison in Rome, has helped to spread the good news. For everything here, including the whole, everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in change because of Christ. Amazing. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Verse 15, It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whatever their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? And I will continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. Fully, I, for I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, important, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honour to Christ wherever I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. Who says that? (laughs) But if I live, I can do more faithful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between these two desires. I long to be with Christ, which will be far better for me. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. He knows how beneficial he is, but he's doing it in a gracious way. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. Some good stuff in there. As I said, I'm going to give you three observations, but I can think of many, many more. If you read it yourself this week, have a pen and paper, and just start writing them down. It's amazing how God's word comes alive when you do something like that. But the first observation I've got for you today is that Paul loved being part of God's big picture. It just it comes out in his words, doesn't it? He loved being part of God's plan for the world. And so he always said yes. Always said yes in obedience. Even when it was hard, and we can see how hard it is. Saying yes to Jesus is actually yes to an adventure. You know, it's never boring. And I get, look, you might be saying an adventure. It doesn't sound like an adventure. He's in prison right now. But you've got to look over his life, okay? It was. He traveled the world. 
a bit like Brother Andrew. You know, he, he sailed around lots of different places, met lots of different people, went on different journeys with, different, with, with other uh, fellow missionaries. You know, yeah, there was a shipwreck or two in there, and okay, there was some beatings and floggings, but it was an adventure. It was an adventure. It well, definitely wasn't boring. Go back to um, verse 12 there, and this is his reflection on, on where he is in, in prison in Rome. I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, everything that has happened to me here, including the, those circumstances he, he's in, has helped to spread the good news. For every, everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains. There's, God's brought him an amazing opportunity. He was able to look back over his life and current difficult circumstances and say, wow, even in these really hard times, God's, I'm still in his plan. God's still using me for his purposes and for Paul, that's what mattered most. He was taken to Roman chains. The good news was spreading there because of that. And that's what brought him joy. Even the guards, you know, are hearing the gospel. He could see it. And I can only imagine what he was going through in his mind when he was originally put into to prison and then he had to, to also go on a journey to Rome for, for another stint there. You've got to remember, this is the man where Jesus literally appeared and told him he had a special lifelong assignment. And, and you, you'd have to think back at times, you know, I'm, I'm the special one here, God. What, what's going on? Why would, why would I be getting whipped and beaten and, and thrown into jail at times? And I guess we just have to, re, have to keep that perspective, church, and just remind ourselves and have the confidence that God knows what he's doing. Even when maybe it doesn't feel like it at times. He does. Just because we say yes to God and his will for us, it doesn't mean our circumstances are always going to be making sense. It doesn't mean that they're all going to just, everything's just going to line up for us. I'm in God's will. He's clearing out all of the obstacles. I'm on a straight path now. That, I haven't seen that happen to anyone yet. And certainly Paul is the example we can look to. We have to trust him though, even when it's hard to understand. Can anyone here identify with Paul? God's calling you to something it doesn't mean, by the way, I'm not just talking to those here that are called into the pastoral um, ministry or into leadership. All of you are called in some capacity to serve your, your God, wherever you are at. And you hear his voice and, and what he's saying there, but it doesn't turn out the way you expect. You hit setbacks, you're facing difficulties. I'm just saying today, hear it from the word, trust him. He's at work. He's teaching you something if we'll actually stop and listen and learn. He's preparing you if you'll let him. It actually shows that he loves you and that he wants you to do well in that thing that he's called you to. He's opening doors ahead of you. He's coordinating things that we don't even see. He's letting fruit come out of your life that you may not even ever, ever know about. God's plans in his big picture is complex and detailed. We can't know it all. The key, as Brother Andrew said, is we just say yes. And Okay, it's good to say yes, but how? We say yes. I think about when I spend time seeking God and his plans for, for us, 
to Hills Church, sometimes I like to just go away, I've got a notebook, and I just pray and I start writing things down. I think about how I can fill two pages sometimes. I wonder what God's notebook is like. Now, we got a big chunk of it, which is awesome. We got a good chunk of his notebook. But could you imagine his notebook that has all the details about every single person, past, present, and future? That's a thick book. Now, yes, he's God, so it's all in... It's, I'm sure it's not a physical notebook and a pen. But that's the thing. It's a plan. And we're part of it. And Paul seems to get excited about being part of it. That's what I want us to hear today from this point. I also want you to know that because of that, because we can trust God, that we're part of his plan, we can relax. You know, God's at work. Enjoy the ride. Paul seemed to find a way to do that, even when it was really tough. You remember what Brother Andrew said there? That's the excitement in obedience, finding out later what God had in mind. Have you ever had those moments in life? And you look back and you go, oh, my goodness, I was doing what God wanted and things, and things have come, good have come out of it. God is using me. That's when you feel, yes, I really am loved by God. Here's the second point. I don't have my watch on today, so I've got to stop doing this. Here's the second point. His boldness for Christ is contagious. Verse 14. This is the key point, of course. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here gain confidence. And boldly speak God's message without fear. And it it would have been fearful in that context where they were to speak out about Jesus. This is the thing I always find so surprising about Paul's letters from prison because he generally doesn't lament his persecution because he has faced a lot of injustice. But he barely mentions it. I remember back when we went through Colossians and, and he barely says anything about his situation and there's three words at the very end of the whole letter that says, remember my chains, and that was it. I thought, wow, what an incredible man of God he is. I mean, no one would begrudge Paul that kind of letter of lament, would they? We wouldn't. If someone that we knew was in jail for their faith and they wrote us a letter saying it's tough, it's tough, it's hard, we would not begrudge them that. Lament's okay. The Bible has books of lament, actually. It has its place. Following Jesus is not meant to be pretend. You know, it's as real as it gets. It's hard at times, but faith in Jesus and his grace strengthens and protects us for these moments. And Paul knew how to live in that. The peace Jesus gives us each day guards our hearts and mind. And Paul obviously received that. He kept trusting God, trusting God, trusting God, whatever his circumstances And even there, he was still being used by God. In fact, we're reading those letters today. It's amazing when you think about the opportunities that God gave him in that situation. But the circumstances didn't seem to overwhelm him. That's faith. You know, he's not alone. This is the thing. Tens of thousands of believers have found themselves in these kinds of situations over the last 2,000 years, even today, all around the world. Many probably in worse situations to what Paul is in here. You know, he would eventually lose his life for his faith. And if you remember what we just read, even that didn't actually concern him. That's faith. In fact, there was a part of him that was like, all right, I'm ready. (laughs) I'm ready to go now, but I'll stay because God wants me to do more yet. 
his faith was strong enough and his love for Christ deep enough that when his liberty was taken from him, he actually, at times, we'll read it in some of his letters, he said, it's like a privilege to experience a bit of what Jesus did. It kind of tells me I am aligned with my God. In one sense, when persecution comes to us, it does confirm that that's where we're at. And how Paul finds a way to be bold and stay positive while living under this pressure is revealed more and more. So therefore, over this letter, you all have to come back every week for the next five weeks. Deal? Oh, there wasn't too many. (laughs) The point is this. His boldness in these circumstances was contagious to the Christians scattered around the world and particularly where he was right there. So much so, they too learned to share the good news in that hostile culture. And verse 14 says they they learned how to do it without fear. That's pretty good. Paul's example, though, was the key. That's what it says in verse 14. And his example is still contagious to us today. Here's a modern-day example for you that I'm going to read. This is from an article, since we're talking about Open Doors today, from 2019 that was on uh, on their news website from Iran. This is what they said. In Iran, where both conversion from Islam and sharing of faith are illegal, Muslims are rapidly coming to Christ. So rapidly that Iran's government leaders are acknowledging the exponential growth to the church. Even as persecution against Christians intensifies, the church is standing strong. In fact, it's growing. Addressing a gathering of Shia Muslim leaders, Iran's intelligence minister openly admitted to summoning Christian converts for questioning, saying that mass conversions are happening right under our eyes. He admitted his agency is collaborating with Muslim religious seminaries to combat the perceived threat of mass conversions to Christianity across the country. In his speech, he also admitted that these converts, they just seem to be ordinary people. Their jobs are like selling sandwiches and similar, similar things. His recent observations, this is from 2019, echo those of church leaders in Iran as well as other, as other uh, government officials. Reportedly, Islamic clerics are expressing serious concern about many young people converting to Christianity. One Islamic seminary leader remarked that accurate reports indicate the youth are becoming Christians in Gom and attending house churches. That's a city in Iran. It's the seventh largest city, actually. Compared to roughly 500 known Christians in 1979, there's now approximately 500,000. And some think it could be a million because it's hard to know. They're a secret church. According to Alarm Ministries, an organization founded in 1990 by Iranian church leaders, more Iranians have become Christians in the last 20 years than in the previous 13 centuries put together. This is despite continued arrests, imprisonment, punishment, and intense pressure, particularly on Muslim-born believers to renounce their faith. Listen to this bit, though. Ministries and experts say the explosive growth of Christianity in Iran has been driven by the almost palpable spiritual hunger and disillusionment with the current regime and the faithfulness of believers who risk it all to share their good news in the face of inevitable persecution. Church leaders in Iran believe that millions can be added to the church in the next few years. If This is a quote now. If we remain faithful to our calling, our conviction is that it is possible to see the nation transformed within our lifetime, one house church leader shared. Iran is a strategic gateway nation. The growing church in Iran will impact Muslim nations around the world. Isn't that inspirational? The faith of these persecuted Iranian Christians inspires me. It's contagious. 
Their faith is contagious. So here's the third point I've got. Paul's boldness was the right kind of boldness. Verse 20 says, I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ. So he's definitely bold, as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honour to Christ wherever I live or die. Our boldness for Christ should bring honour to him. Any boldness that doesn't bring honour honor to Christ is not the right kind of boldness. You know, if you're getting pressure against you because your boldness is kind of like obnoxious or because you're arrogant or unloving or angry, I'm just going to say that's not Christian persecution. You can't just say because I'm persecuted, it's because of Christ. But if you face pressure for sticking with Jesus and you respond with grace and mercy and love like Jesus did when he faced it, or like Paul did, you know you're in good company. It seems that the right kind of boldness is extremely powerful, and that's the, that's the contagious one. Boldness that aligns with Jesus aligns with his commands. And, and we talk about it all the time. It's the hard one, that you have to love your enemies. And so when you feel that pressure, I don't know if persecution, we can use that word in Australia at this stage, but if you feel that pressure, Jesus says, that person or people we love and we pray for them. Boldness that aligns with Jesus isn't self-centered or vengeful or aggressive or abusive or self-righteous. Sometimes I see that, you know, in the wider church, when things are coming against the faith, the response doesn't always align with Jesus very well. There was many times Jesus faced persecution and he, and he was obviously bold. Even at the end of his time on earth, you know, he's facing torture and death. He's standing in, in the court, Pilate's court and all of that stuff's coming against him. And he's, he was bold, but he was bold in in his way. Despite overwhelming pressure, he never sought revenge. You know, after being beaten and nailed on the cross, what's the response of Jesus? Literally dying. Father, forgive them. Now, in one way, in a human way, it doesn't make sense, and yet the degree of obedience and boldness from Jesus himself is contagious. And I wonder, I wonder how contagious my own faith is. And if you've been following the news, you know the story probably of Andrew Thorburn. Andrew was the former CEO of the National Australia Bank and then was appointed a few weeks ago the CEO of the Essendon Football Club. A big deal, particularly if you live in Melbourne. But he was also the chair of a church called City on the Hill. In Melbourne, an Anglican church, they have what we would say is biblical and orthodox doctrine, including around sexuality and, and things like um, life and, and abortion and things like that. And today's culture, you know, more and more doesn't tolerate God's law and boundaries around these two things. And many of you will know, Andrew lasted one day, one day in that role. 
the media and certain interest groups trawled through the church website and sermon archive and discovered what they thought was scandalous, scandalous preaching in just that 24-hour period. The Essendon board essentially said to Andrew, you've got to choose between the role you have in your church or this role in the football club. So he quit the football club. It was a prestigious, powerful, high-paying job, and he said it was a job I'd always dreamed of having. And here's the important bit. Both Andrew and the pastor of City on a Hill Church responded with two things. Grace, but still truth. Boldness. They didn't lash out in anger. They didn't organize a protest. They didn't give up their beliefs in God's plan for us either. So it's easy to think the mob won, and in one way you could say perhaps they did, but the devil probably thought he won when Paul was sent to Rome in chains. The church was birthed in Rome as a result. The devil probably thought he'd won when Jesus went to the cross. He couldn't have been more wrong. You know, I watched that church in Melbourne, City on a Hill, crazy. They, they, they copped a huge backlash. They come, came under immense pressure. There was scrutiny. They stood firm and boldly, and they talked about Jesus in love. Part of Andrew's statement that he released to the media, media contained some really good words. I thought they were bold. He said, my faith is central to who I am. Since coming to faith in Jesus 20 years ago, I have seen profound change in my life, and I believe God has made me a better husband, father, and friend. And it goes on from there. It's very concerning and disappointing what happened to Andrew. I agree, 100%. And I agree that, yes, we should speak up against that kind of treatment. So long as the method of how we speak is always a good witness to Jesus and represents him well and brings honor to him. And you know what? And it kind of brings honor to Paul as well, in a way. But I also believe that out of this boldness to speak about Jesus and not compromise will come something good for the kingdom that we probably won't think of. We may never know what it is, in fact. But Andrew's faith and boldness, particularly uh, and in his churches as well, for me it was inspiration. You could say, I don't know about you, I found their faith to be uh, contagious. Like the Christians in Iran. Contagious. Like Brother Andrew. Contagious. Like the Apostle Paul, contagious. Like Jesus, contagious. Their faith was contagious. So here's the question I ask for all of us today. How contagious is my faith? Let's pray about that together. Lord Jesus, this morning I, I feel... A, the inspiration that you gave us through, through Paul's letter, his actions, his words, his life. Lord, I think about those Christians in Iran who have to go to church in secret, but they're bold. They know there could be something coming against them, but they're bold. Lord, I pray like the, the church that Paul wrote to, that 
these examples will inspire us that their faith in you would be contagious, that it would spill across into our lives, Lord, and that we would live for you in such a way. You are working all around us. We need not fear. And we place ourselves boldly into your hands. Lord, just as we go out into the world this week, you know, we've gathered together as, as like missionaries this morning. And now we head out. Lord, I, I pray that we head out inspired, encouraged, refreshed, renewed, and ready. Ready, God, to, to fill this world with your love and your message of redemption. I pray, God, that uh, you will hold us, um, you would hold us firm, Lord, when, when we perhaps face a fear or a, a bit of pressure somewhere, Lord Jesus. May we be able to write a letter one day that says, when it was tough, I still found joy and your gospel went forward. God, I pray that over us as a church this morning. Lord, we pray for open doors as they, um, you know, they, they grieve the loss of their leader and their founder. But at the same time, God, we, we know they're filled with um, hope because they know and we know that Andrew, Brother Andrew, is with you. And we thank you, Lord, for his life and uh, his example for us. You are a good God. You are worthy of our, of our lives, God. You are worthy of our praise and our worship. You are worthy of our time and our effort and our sacrifice. You are worthy of our commitment and our obedience, Lord. And so these things, Lord, we want to give to you this morning. And we pray, Lord, where we struggle, your Holy Spirit will, will send, will empower us to do what you have called us to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. 